We're glad you've joined us today for Meeting with God. Meeting with God is the radio teaching ministry of Vertical Church in Columbus. We're in the middle of a series called Ambassadors, Thriving in an Upside-Down World. And today we're going to listen to the second part of a message called Welcome to Postmodern Athens. Let's open our hearts together to God's message. How do I reach people who don't believe in a God? How do I reach people who who really have no categories for a God outside of what they can see and touch and feel? Well, here's the truth. We have a very secular culture that is very religious. Now, it's interesting to me that Paul would say in verse 22, he says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Listen, even those that you might know who might call themselves atheists or agnostics are believing something. They have some object of their faith, even if it is they themselves are their object of faith. Everyone believes in something. Everyone has faith in something. And if you're an atheist, you're believing by faith that when you die, you're not waking up. That's a statement of faith. You're believing that there is no God. That's a statement of faith. I want to turn and look at two other stories quickly here. And as we do this, we're going to do a few things. I want to obviously compare it to our own story. But I want us to learn what the other cultural stories are. And we need to look at them. If you're thinking of reaching someone in your neighborhood or maybe somebody in your family that you're going to see over Thanksgiving... I think we want to start first by affirming what we can in their story. But then we also want to look behind the story. What's the why behind what they believe? And then as you're talking to someone, as you're maybe even thinking of someone right now, you want to be looking for the gospel gap. Every other belief story, every other belief system, every other worldview has a gospel gap. Now, if you're thinking about football, which we don't have football today right now, but if you were a running back, your success or failure depends on finding a gap between some really big, really strong 300-pound men. And you're looking for a little gap that you can run through. Now, when it comes to sharing the gospel with others, we're looking for a gospel gap. Where is the gap that I can bring the gospel in? The gap in their story where they can't entirely bring their story together. Here, let's go to the first one. Let's look at the first of two tonight. And that is science and technology. The view of naturalistic scientism. I've mentioned this book. Again, if you're a small group leader, I have a couple of books, copies of this book. Uh, This book has been really helpful. It's by Paul Williams. It's called Exiles on Mission. And um, especially the next few weeks, you're going to hear things right out of this book. This book has hugely uh, helped me. Uh, Obviously, I brought a lot of other content to this series. Um, But this book I would commend to you as a great way to wrap your mind around, especially some of the more technical things. Now, I want to read this to you. I think uh, Paul puts in a great summary. If you're thinking about the acts here of the drama, of the story of naturalistic scientism, and you're thinking about these categories, what is the basic belief? What is the problem in the story? What is the approach? What is the hope? What is the solution? What is the progress? What is the ultimate vision of this story? I'm just going to read this to you. Act number one, basic beliefs. What is the basic belief of 
the naturalistic scientism perspective. Human beings are smart. And that's why we are the dominant species on the planet. Our reason is what enables us to gain knowledge. By empirical observation of the world around us, we can gain knowledge about everything if we only look carefully and apply our minds to what we see. Once we understand the way things work, we can use that knowledge to control the world through our technology, solve the problems we have, and make the world a better place. And actually, it doesn't sound bad off the top, but let's go to act number two, the problem. The problem with the world really is ignorance. There's still a lot we don't know. Worse still, some people choose ignorance and superstition. They don't see that it's pointless putting weight on things we can't scientifically prove, like religion. Act number three, the approach. We need to make sure that people are better educated to understand how science works and that it is the only route to real knowledge. We need to make sure that we make decisions for our society as a whole based on facts established by scientific method not moral value judgments that are just private opinions. Act number four, what is the solution? We had a real breakthrough in the 19th century. Charles Darwin established the theory of evolution as the true explanation for human origins, and that has helped diminish the power of unscientific myths. More and more people have seen the value of scientific reasoning and are realizing that the material universe is all there is. And that everything in it can be known through science. How do we make progress within this view? So if we invest enough resources in science and technological development, we can eventually figure out solutions to all of our problems. We should apply the scientific method to all fields of knowledge if we really want to understand everything. And then ultimately the vision. If we put our minds to it, we can eradicate disease, alleviate suffering, harness limitless energy without damaging our planet. We'll be able to keep making the world and eventually other planets better. Now, there's many things in this view that are good, that we should affirm. However, before we do that, I think it's important especially to wrap our minds around what is going on here. When we think of naturalistic scientism, what exactly are we talking? Are we saying that Christianity is opposed to science? Are we saying it's different? Are they not connected in some way? Isn't science just morally neutral? Well, yes, I would say it's morally neutral in a sense. But many people in our culture don't think of it that way. And this is why I want you, I want to read just a little bit more. I want you to really understand what this view is because this view is one that you will definitely engage. Williams writes this. He says, the story is really a mixture of two related stories. Scientific naturalism, as propounded by people like Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris, holds that the material universe is all there is and that all that happens in it is ultimately the result of the cause and effect chain of complex interactions of physical laws. There is no room for God in this view except as a human construct. Human beings have evolved through these processes essentially by chance, and there is no underlying purpose or meaning to life or the universe except what we decide to construct. The second story that follows from this is that of scientism. 
scientism extends the use of the scientific method from studying material phenomena, physics, chemistry, biology, etc., to studying human behavior, especially in the so-called social sciences of economics, psychology, sociology, political science, anthropology, geography, and law. This would not be problematic were the use of such analytical methods subservient to an approach to the study of human behavior that treats the person as the subject and not simply as an object. The attempt to understand human and non-human worlds by the same methodology is to make a serious category mistake. But scientism holds that such application of the scientific method will discover the universal laws and principles that govern human behavior and will thus enable experts and policymakers to design societies on a rational or scientific basis. Overall, as Neil Postman observes in his book, Technopoly, the combination of these beliefs gives rise to a faith in science as a comprehensive belief system able to give meaning and direction to life. Now, the reason I read that to you is for you to grasp a very important point. We're not just talking about science. Science is awesome. It is, as I read earlier from Psalm 19, the study of what God has made. It is awesome. But there is a point in our society as we begin to shift to a postmodern, multiple ways of thinking and living and believing We can go from taking science as a gift to study God and what God has made to then becoming something that essentially rules us and becomes a belief system, essentially a faith system. Now, how do we think about this? I want to start by focusing on the positive. What can we affirm in this naturalistic scientism or science and technology viewpoint? Well, first, is that humans are given the gift of rational capacity. You know, some views don't have a very high view of humans, but clearly this perspective does. Second of all, when you study this perspective, you understand that there is a longing, there is a longing within humans. I'll tell you as a pastor, I go to the hospital way too much, and I go to gravesides occasionally. It's a reminder that people are broken and that there is pain and brokenness in the world. And what a blessing it is for those who invest their lives in caring for people and finding new solutions and better ways of living and using technology to bless people's lives. This is Pastor Luke Aarons from Vertical Church. You know, I love that you're listening to Meeting with God, but I got a question for you. Are you doing the Christian life in isolation? At Vertical Church Columbus, we live out biblical community not only through our weekend services, but also in grace groups. These small groups meet across the city weekly to encourage one another and care for one another and study God's word together. You know, if you don't have Christians around you in your journey with Christ, let me invite you to Vertical Church. Go to verticalchurch.life. Education is also important. You know, when I think of science... I think of a book that I read as a child on George Washington Carver. Perhaps you've read about him. He was one of the greatest scientists in our country's history. But not only was he a gifted scientist who helped the South, especially with a transition from the cotton depleting plants processes that was depleting their land and helped them to adjust but he also was a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And he believed that faith could be integrated with the study of science. 
Listen, biblical truth, scientific discovery, and biblical revelation go hand in hand. Now, what are the limits of this view? Well, this view is focused on knowledge. Knowledge is the answer. As I read a minute ago, ignorance is viewed as the problem. The problem in the story is that people don't know enough. If you think about this, knowledge, the place of knowledge. Back in the modern era, we were in postmodernism. So in modernism, what they did is they took God out of the center of knowledge. Scripture says that to know God, God is the center of knowledge. And they moved God outside the center, but they didn't eliminate him. In the postmodern view, God is done with, away with him completely. There's no need for a God at all. Humans, who are rational, are their own master and savior. It's funny how some things just keep coming back. It really takes us back to the garden in our story where our problem began. What did the serpent tell Eve? That if you eat the fruit, you will become like God, knowing good from evil. Really, knowledge is power. But the problem is knowledge as power without morality leads to great problems. If you study the Holocaust, science itself is not just a neutral thing. Without a moral compass, science can go easily off the rails. Uh, Even within our own culture, there's a fear of elites without ethics. Now, where is the gospel gap? Scientific knowledge can give us many, many good things. It is my hope that many people growing up in our church will someday become scientists who will spend their lives learning about God's creation and investing themselves in the study of what God has made and blessing the lives of others. I'm blessed in our church. We have so many, I'll call them beautiful minds, who are blessing others by touching people in the hospital systems, in medicine, but there are limits. Scientific knowledge cannot give ultimate value, meaning, and purpose. If you think about it this way, secular knowledge is facts without meaning. Now, increasing knowledge, knowledge is good, but increasing knowledge goes in one of two directions. It either causes us to worship our creator or causes us to worship the creature. It only goes in one of two directions. Well, as I said, this viewpoint views the problem to be ignorance. This view would say that the human mind and scientific processes are the solution to every problem. But God's word tells us that the real problem is not just ignorance. The problem from Romans chapter 1 is that creatures are not in ignorance, but they're ignoring the God who has both created matter and the minds that study it. Listen, for those who hold to this view, and if you're talking to someone who's in a position where they're all in on science and technology, that science will save the world, they're going to end up at some point with a faith and meaning vacuum. Listen, knowledge without God leads to smart, but eventually arrogant demigods without a moral compass, which ultimately leads to a hollow purposeless, valueless humanity. And that's where the limits of this view come crashing into a wall. And this is where as you're talking to people, press on this. Listen, science is awesome. Science is a blessing. 
I have a, a lot of technology happening on me right now that's enabling us to meet and to do so many things. Science is wonderful, but it isn't God. And ultimately, those who hold to this view are going to run into an end of the road where there is no meaning. What is it just that we keep creating and keep hoping that there's some sort of solution that will solve all of our problems, not realizing that the biggest problem is the problem inside it is the human heart. What is the answer? Well, it's not survival of the smartest. The answer is Psalm 119. Learning to worship God for what he has created and then worshiping God through what he has written, the truth he has given us. Listen, knowledge of the creation is built on the knowledge of the creator and lover of creation. I want to look at a second view here quickly. And that is uh, the view of the economy, the ideology of free market capitalism. Again, I'm going to quickly read uh, what this view believes. I think this can be helpful to us as we're thinking about this. What is the basic acts of this belief? The first act is that human beings are individual, rational choosers. They know what they want and they make choices between alternatives based on what they think is most likely to give them the best outcome. The planet has a lot of resources available for people to use. But what is the problem? There are limits on what people can use. The first limit comes because there are costs involved with using things and not enough resources for everyone to do whatever they want. Scarcity means we must compete for resources. People's choices are also limited in societies that don't prioritize individual choice. What is the approach? We need to organize society so that the scarce resources can be allocated to individuals in a way that maximizes the happiness generated by having wants satisfied. What is the solution? The perfectly competitive market system will do this. We need individuals and firms to be able to own resources and buy and sell with each other as they want in order to maximize personal and corporate profit. And then prices will automatically incentivize people to exchange just the right amount of everything to maximize the system satisfaction level. What is progress? Now we need to work to deregulate all the barriers that exist to free exchange and trade. We need to remove limits on choice in every market. We need to spread markets everywhere, including to those areas of life where people exchange things in ways that are less efficient at allocating scarce resources. Examples of areas we could improve are where things are owned by the government, the public, and or nobody, such as water and air, instead of by private individuals and firms, where we have moral hang-ups about buying and selling things like sex, DNA, and other body parts. What is the vision? The more we spread markets to every part of our society and get rid of limits on what kind of choices individuals can make, the happier and more satisfied they will be. Now again, there's a lot that can be affirmed here. Certainly human choice is a good thing. God himself offers all kinds of choices to humans. Ultimately, the greatest choice is whether we will follow him or follow our own sinful passions. But choice is good. Choice is good. Certainly within this view, the value of work, productive work, hard work, character, free market exchange. I'll admit that I think the free market model is a great model. 
If you've been to other parts of the world that don't hold this, some of this view, um, you see people in great poverty. We are certainly blessed in many ways by some of the thoughts in this view. But then it hits its limits. Really, the why behind this view of free market capitalism, which we see in our day, could be summed up in the word materialism. That the more stuff I get, the more things I have, the newer car I get, then I will be happy. Then I will find satisfaction. Then I will be at peace. Well, God's word certainly speaks to that. What is the cultural, what is the gospel gap in this viewpoint? Well, sometimes we have to step back and ask the question, are we just the results of economics, the science of choice? Is our happiness just based on somebody else figuring out what they need me to buy? Am I just the result of other people's advertising? Here's another question, another gospel gap. Is there ever enough? In my experience, some of the most unsatisfied people are the people that have the most. But then we get to the place of relationships, often materialism, a sense of if I could only get a little bit more, if I could only get that thing I want, then bleeds into relationships. And now I begin to treat people like objects to meet my needs and do what I want. And long-term relationship is only good if it's mutually satisfying. But if it's ever not, then I'm out of this relationship and on to something else. Clearly, that will not satisfy I was thinking of a person that I knew when I was younger. He was a teacher, and one of the teachers in his school had a little poster outside of his door which said, the person who dies with the most toys wins. The person who dies with the most toys wins, to which my friend then put a poster on his door which said, the person who dies with the most toys dies. And they had a little bit of fun there. But see, there's a lot of truth in that. And this is where the gospel begins to open. Those who continue to chase things to turn my satisfaction, materialism, and material things, that is what will give me the peace I want. That is what will give me all that I need. Well, if you follow that trail to its end, it never satisfies like it does in the commercials. And it leaves an emptiness. Those who trade relationships back and forth find a profound personal emptiness. Why? Because the endless pursuit of happiness without the ultimate community with the triune God and the family of God will never satisfy. And I would challenge us for just a minute. Sometimes we can be pulled into this viewpoint without realizing it and wanting to have things. Things are not wrong. Things are a gift of God. But if we chase them, And our heart begins to chase things instead of the living God. If I begin to chase satisfaction in achievement or other things and it pulls me away from my relationships that God has given me, they will never satisfy. Now what is the biblical opening for transformation? How do we help someone who is in a relentless chasing of materialism? Well, the answer is not in getting, but in giving. Scripture tells us that in John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Scripture also tells us that for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. God is an eternally giving God. 
You see, the answer to materialism is not me getting more for me and making me happy. The answer to materialism is turning our hearts toward the God of the universe who gave the ultimate gift, his son Jesus Christ, and in embracing a life of generosity and giving following the example of our God. I'm going to end here. We're going to go through a couple more. I realize this is a lot of technical information to some extent. Maybe not your traditional sermon that you were thinking of. But you know, the thing that I love is at the end of Acts chapter 17, after Paul had explained the gospel to all of these philosophers and different people from different viewpoints, in the end, two people in particular chose to follow Jesus Christ. And it's my hope that God will use us as we are ambassadors into a world where people are chasing this and chasing that, that God will use us to bring people back to relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening to Meeting with God, the radio ministry of Vertical Church in Columbus, Ohio. If you missed part of today's message or would like to hear other messages from Pastor Luke Ahrens, please visit our archive of Meeting with God radio programs at our website, verticalchurch.life. There you'll find a collection of past messages from God's Word, which you can listen to easily, as well as share with your family and friends. Also on our website, you can learn how to connect with Vertical Church personally if you're in Columbus or leave a prayer request. As always, we hope you'll join us here tomorrow at the very same time for your meeting with God. Meeting with God is the teaching ministry of Vertical Church Columbus. For more information, go to verticalchurch.life.